Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 9th, we're studying 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. St. Paul begins his second letter to Timothy, giving thanks to God for the faith that has been given to this young pastor through his faithful mother and grandmother. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you, Pastor Apple. Great to be back with you. So we're starting a new letter this morning, Pastor Zimmerman, 2 Timothy. This is a part of a larger series that's going to take us through all three pastoral epistles. We've come through 1 Timothy. We're starting 2 Timothy today. We're going to go through Titus after this. All these three epistles are related. As we get started into a, a new epistle this morning, it's good just to get our bearings, make sure we have a few basic pieces of information concerning this epistle as we jump into it. So help us with some of that context. Remind us about the pastoral epistles, and then particularly about 2 Timothy. Who's the author? Who's the recipient? Date, themes, purposes, all that kind of conversation. Let's have a little bit of that to begin with. Sure. That's a great place to start, to always get our bearings. We like doing that, especially when we start a new book, uh, because it's helpful to kind of understand uh, kind of when it is being uh, written and to whom, because those affect kind of the way we read it. Uh, it's, it's not as if uh, the statements in the text aren't true, um, if you don't know the audience, but it helps us kind of understand uh, some of the text that we are going to be encountering, not only for our study today, but the rest of the studies on Second Timothy. And so that's always a good place to start. So as you noted, this is part of a series that we are looking through uh, the pastoral epistles, which is what we call 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Um, they are letters written by Paul to these individuals, Titus and Timothy, who are pastors. That, that, that's the, kind of the better way to t- speak of them. They, they are pastors, but they're not just necessarily a pastor of a particular congregation, they also have some oversight functions um, as they have been appointed by Paul, the apostle, uh, to carry on the ministry that he began. And of course, the apostles were going all over the place. That's what the, the book of Acts tells us about, especially the second half of Acts that focuses on Paul's missionary journeys. And you might recall, um, our audience might recall, as we've studied through the book of Acts before, uh, either on their own or through different parts of our our series on KFUO, uh, that Paul will go to a place, but he doesn't stay there. He might stay there for a while, like, you know, 18 months, a couple of years, things like that. But he's always moving on. But it's not as if there wouldn't be people set in those places to carry on the ministry that Paul started. So he brings the gospel, you have uh, disciples created, and then a generation of leaders is raised up who will now carry on those functions. 
and Titus and Timothy are in that generation. They are associates of Paul who are now going to be in the places where he has assigned them or sent them. And now they are going to oversee these congregations. And eventually another generation will be created after them. Now, why that's important to know is because there will be some instructions that we see in the pastoral epistles that Paul gives to Titus and Timothy to carry out. Um, when you get to Titus, we'll talk about appointing uh, elders in all the different cities. Uh, for Timothy, especially in 2 Timothy here, there's going to be a great emphasis on carrying out and holding on to this deposit, to what's been handed down to him as a set of teachings that he's going to ensure keep on being taught, especially in opposition, as people say, well, I, I might not believe that, or I believe something different, or, or I've heard this new teaching. And so Paul will give instructions to Timothy about holding on to this, uh, you know, good deposit of using the scriptures as the tool uh, to equip the man of God uh, for every good work and be competent in, in, in his work. So those are some of the things that we're going to see. Now, you're also dealing with, when we talk about generation, new generation of leadership, uh, the apostolic generation is coming to a close. Uh, and we will see that in our study, um, not, not today, uh, but later on in, in the series as you get deeper into the book of 2 Timothy, that, that Paul knows um, his time on earth is drawing to a close. He is going to be under the threat of martyrdom and kind of you would almost see him anticipating such martyrdom. And so now as the apostles are facing the end of their earthly life, it's a great critical question of how well have they handed down that teaching which Christ gave to them. And that's why that's going to be a big kind of theme in Second Timothy. There is a, a great sense of urgency that you get from Paul in this letter, particularly for that reason. He recognizes that his ministry is drawing to a close. Likely his life is drawing to a close as well. Let's let's stay there for just a moment, Pastor mm -hmm. Zimmerman. Where is Paul when he's writing this letter and how does that matter for our reading? Sure. Well, Paul is imprisoned. That's I think that that's the safest way to put it. He he is in custody of some sort. The, we have scholars as they try to piece together where exactly he is imprisoned and when. Uh, you will see some different uh, suggestions. Um, we have. Uh, suggestions, all, all by scholars who actually do believe that Paul is the author. Uh, unfortunately, we do, we do know that there are scholars uh, of the text who, who, are, who suggest, well, that Paul didn't write uh, 2 Timothy or Titus or, or, or 1 Timothy, for that matter. Um, and we are definitely not pursuing that path. Uh, but there are people who say, yeah, Paul definitely wrote this, but we're not quite sure when, we're not quite sure where. 
And so you have a couple suggestions. One, um, that perhaps he's writing it when he's imprisoned in Caesarea, which is uh, we have that kind of statement in the book of Acts of, of Paul being imprisoned there, or suggesting that Paul wrote it while imprisoned in Rome. And, and there's different arguments of uh, why um, these scholars try to piece it th- either here or there. Uh, and that would affect the date of the writing, because if it's written in Caesarea, then it has to be around the year 60. If it's written in Rome, it's probably somewhere closer to like 66, maybe 68. Um, and so there is a little bit of disagreement there. Unfortunately, um, we don't have a date stamp, <laughs> and, and that's what makes it di- that's what makes it difficult. I, I mean, we have like our emails all have those time and date stamps. Unfortunately, for Second Timothy, we we don't have one of those. There's no postmark from whatever post office Paul sent this letter from. But regardless of of that, and as you said, those disagreements are among scholars who agree that Paul did write this letter. It's it's a matter of, and this goes beyond the scope of our study today, but it is a matter of lining up Paul's epistles with the book of Acts and whether or not some of his epistles come after what's recorded for us in the book of Acts. And again, that goes beyond the scope of, of our reading today. And there are a number of faithful ways to consider those questions. And it's not that they're unimportant, but for our purposes, what we want to keep in mind is that Paul is in prison here. Where exactly? We're not sure, but he is in prison and he's recognizing that he's near the end of his life, that a new generation of of leaders is coming after the apostles and he's going to write now to Timothy to reiterate that urgency of holding on to the true doctrine. And that urgency does come through, I think, in this epistle when you put it next to first Timothy, which we're just coming out of mm-hmm. in first Timothy, there are, I wouldn't call them trivial matters, but there are more day to day matters of congregational living that get addressed. For example, the very last couple of chapters that talk about the, the uh, enrollment of widows and, and the way that Timothy is to treat different groups within the congregations and, and encouraging the older men and the older women and so forth. You don't see that in second Timothy in second Timothy. Paul really has this laser focus of holding on to the true doctrine, the deposit that Timothy's been given, holding on to the scriptures as the God-breathed word that gives faith, that equips the man of God. That really is the focus here in this second epistle that Paul writes to young Timothy. Absolutely. And the Timothy's task is to preach this. And, 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 you know, it's going to be like, Timothy, you're going to have to preach this. This is your job. This is your vocation. This is your calling. And you know what, Timothy? You might actually suffer the same sorts of things that I'm suffering now while imprisoned. Such opposition may happen to you. And the opposition might not be imprisonment, but there's going to be plenty of people not willing to listen to you. There's going to be plenty of people who are going to say, you know, that that's that's just hokum and I, I don't buy it. Or they're going to be like, I've got this other teacher we found and, and we like them better. And none of those things can actually dissuade Timothy from his work. And Paul, in that urgency, is going to be saying that, you know, your work is this way. This is I'm going to charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. We'll see that in chapter four 
later in our series. I mean, that's that's no trivial statement there. I mean, that is that solemn charge. I would also kind of note with the urgency, just um, especially we as Lutherans, um, you know, when we talk about uh, Second Timothy is is sometimes referred to almost like as Paul's last will and testament. Mm. And some of our Lutheran uh, audience, which would be most of our hearers, might recall that that's kind of the way that we speak uh, in our confessions of like the small called articles that Luther wrote. And you can almost see that type of urgency even in his uh, writing there. This idea that when people are facing the, the, the wrapping up of their, of their life and work, um, you know, it, 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 it just heightens everything. And they want to put it down clearly, here is what I'm handing on to you, and don't lose it. Because there's going to be a time when I'm not going to be able to come back and remind you of this, because I won't be there anymore. There, I, I won't be living with you anymore. We're, we're here at the end of the church year, getting close to the end of the church year. And the readings that are appointed for this time of the church year have that same tenor to them, that urgency before Christ's second coming, that we would hold on to what is true. I mean, and, and your comparison to the small cult articles, I think, is a helpful one. When you look at how Luther writes there, generally speaking, when someone knows that their life is coming to an end, all the, the extra just sort of melts into the background, and you get this laser focus on on what is important. And you certainly see that here with Paul. Now, one, one more thing of, of introductory mm-hmm. matters, I think one more thing. You mentioned false teaching, and, and that was clearly a theme in First Timothy as well, there was false teaching going on in Ephesus, and Paul's warning Timothy, watch out for it, don't let it gain a foothold, have nothing to do with these myths, these genealogies, old wives' tales is one of the terms he uses in that epistle. And now, whether or not Timothy is still in Ephesus, maybe he's in a more general Asia Minor in this particular epistle, it's, there's not a particular mention of Ephesus in this letter, but he's maybe in the same region. What sorts of false teaching are going on? Is it the same stuff that he's dealing with in the first epistle? Is there new things going on? What's the false teaching in view here? Uh, it's some of the same, um, quite honestly. Um, but there's a few new things, too. Um, so in, in chapter 2, we see some references to some of that. Um, if, you, if you take a look, he talks about foolish, ignorant controversies that breed quarrels. Um, also in chapter two, you've got a statement about some people who are saying the resurrection has already happened, which is kind of a kind of a strange thing. What exactly that means, um, <laughs> which is, I mean, it's just kind of, uh, try to piece that together is a, is, is a, is a little different. Um, there are things about uh, kind of a general idea that people will wander off into myths because they're turning away from listening to the truth. So there are some commonalities there. Um, So yes, it's probably a carrying on, but it almost seems like when you get to chapter three in second Timothy, and he talks about like the increasing of godlessness Mm. in the last days, and almost just seeing this kind of like, you know, there's, um, you know, things are just kind of going, going to sort of go to pot towards towards the end and, and it, it kind of has sort of a pessimism about it uh and maybe a realism might be better yeah. r- rather than pessimism 
Um, and there's going to be people who, you know, accumulate to themselves, you know, people who are going to, um, going to hear and cling to these things. They're going to be led away by various passions, as he says. Uh, they're always going to be trying to be learning, but they never actually get to a knowledge of the truth, which is almost like seeking like, well, I know, I know what the apostles taught us, but there's got to be something more. Um, so it, it, it's all there. And it's like saying that this, it's almost like the competition might even increase as the, as the things go on. And really that's kind of the, um, it's kind of the way the church history has played out, right? There, there's, there's always a new competitor that, 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 that Christ church faces and it shifts from place to place, region to region, time to time. Um, but there are some things, uh, which we can see, as maybe kind of like a little bit of addition to something new mm. that's 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 dangerous uh, and will pull people away uh, from what is going to be the saving truth about Christ and his work. And that's the key thing. It pulls it away from Christ and his work. Right. That's the that's the problem with false doctrine is that it pulls people away from Christ and his work. And that's why sound doctrine is so important is because it draws people to Christ and his work. It gives people Christ and his work. And that's what Paul wants Timothy to be engaged with there in Asia Minor and instructing others to do the same. And as you pointed out, that's something that the church in every age needs to be engaged in. Paul does bring up the late, the latter days, these last times there in chapter three, even as he recognizes that his own life is coming to an end. That doesn't mean that this stuff is only for him the one who's about to die, this matters for everyone because Christ's return is imminent. And these are the last days. Hold on to the true doctrine now, dear church, and pastors, teach it, preach it, give it to the people so that they will receive Christ and him crucified. Pastor Zimmerman, any more introductory material before we jump into the text for today? Uh, that's, that, I think that'll give us a good, a good bearing, and I'm sure we'll touch on a few things as, as we might see how they get drawn through, uh, either today or in, in the, in the future, uh, shows on episodes on, on Second Timothy. You'll, you'll see the ties to what we look at in this introductory matter. They're, they'll just, they'll just pop up. You, you won't miss them. All right. So we are in. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Here's the text. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That is our text for today, 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. So, Pastor Zimmerman, we get those familiar words from Paul at the beginning. We hear them at the beginning of each of his epistles, a 
what I would call in air quotes, a standard introduction. And I, I know I've said this before when we've introduced other letters of Paul. I think there's a temptation for us just sort of to breeze through these words because we know what Paul says because he says it every time. But it's always worth our, our time to slow down just a little bit and to look at what he says because he doesn't say exactly the same thing every time. So let's let's dig into his, his introductory remarks here, verses one and two, starting with himself. He says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Start the conversation there with what Paul says about himself. All right. Paul in his career, if you want to use that term, ministry, faces somewhat constantly the question about just what his status is. There are people, you might recall when we read, you know, 2 Corinthians, who have kind of the, kind of the questions like, well, Paul might claim to be an apostle, but we got like these, like, like super or better apostles, right? Um, There's always the question right after Paul is converted and, and, and brought into Jerusalem, will, will the church receive him? as one sent by Christ, which is really what the apostle idea is. They're, they're the sent ones, the apostello, I send. And it's critical to understanding that if Paul is an apostle, that what he is bringing is not his teaching. And, and there's an emphasis in 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of that emphasis about you know, I, I'm delivering to you what I received, right? Okay, I, I'm I'm not inventing something. I, I'm not I'm not creating something. I, and like this is a brilliant teaching, and it's gonna and it's gonna make me famous or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a task to deliver a message which Christ Himself gave and assigned me this task to give to you. And so when Paul speaks of himself as an apostle, that's what he's always hearkening back to. And he's an apostle not of, you know, not, not sent by, you know, maybe the church of Antioch, even though they did send him. You know, um, that's where he jumped off from. Um, not sent by any ordinary man, but an apostle of the Messiah Jesus, the Christ Jesus. Uh, the one who is the fulfillment of all those promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the one who fulfills all those prophetic statements. And it is by God's will that this task came to me. In the same way that it was by God's will that that task came to Peter, or to James, or John, or Andrew, or, or, or the others. So that's what's wrapped up in there. Now, what's going to happen is people people are going to be like, no, no, no. I mean, he's not, and that's why we're opposing him. (laughs) And uh, he can kind of already start slamming the door on on the opponents that way. Paul's, as you said, Paul's authority as an apostle, his office as an apostle, is constantly in question throughout his ministry. And so certainly when he identifies himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus here, that is in view. He's, He's reminding Timothy... And anyone then that Timothy would instruct 
where does this teaching come from in the first place? It's ultimately not Timothy's. It's ultimately not Paul's. It belongs to Christ, who is the one who did the sending, which is what the word apostle means. You, you mentioned the word, the will of God here. And and again, this I don't, I don't as I was reflecting on this prior to our, our program today, in 1 Timothy, Paul identifies himself as an apostle according to the command of God, which uh, there's not... I don't suppose there's a ton of difference there, but I just thinking through the situation in which Paul finds himself, he's in prison for the sake of the gospel because he's an apostle. That's why he's in prison. That's why he's suffering. And here he writes to Timothy saying he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I wonder if if maybe there's a bit of reflection on his part, knowing that he's near the end of his life, that even this is a part of God's will, almost Almost in the same vein that we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane concerning the will of God before he goes to his death, Paul, thinking, I might be going to my death, I'm praying concerning the will of God. He's reflecting upon that for his career, his ministry as an apostle. I don't know. What do you think, Pastor Zimmerman? Yes, well, yes, well uh, yes, I think I think there's something there, actually. Um, and it goes back to, actually, like, the, the, the conversion of Paul, where he is going to be selected as an apostle. Um, his being imprisoned, his being uh, faced uh, with that fate of potential death, his having undergone all those things that he suffered, which he lists like in Second Corinthians, right? You know, it's always that, you know, kind of thing. Here's, here's why I endured, and, uh, and the arrests, and the beatings, and the shipwrecks, and, and all those things. But if we, if our hearers might remember, you go all the way back to the book of Acts, and when he is chosen, remember he's knocked off the horse, he's blinded, and then Ananias in um, Damascus is given the task of, of of bringing Paul really kind of like into the church, right? And remember what he says, what the Lord says to Ananias. He says, "You know, go because he, meaning this Paul, that well Saul of Tarsus as he's known then." is a chosen instrument of mine, a chosen instrument, you know, meaning that that's by his will, um, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that kind of thematic statement gets carried out um, in Paul's life. And, and the fact that he's suffering these things is not, is not because something contrary to like what God had like kind of laid out for him is happening, but rather it's exactly what God had laid out. I mean, this, this is what he, this is what he assigned Paul, that, that, that's, that's what was going to happen to him. So the, the will of God for Paul includes suffering, but that's not all it includes. We're going to pick up more of Paul's introduction here in second Timothy on the other side of the break. You're listening to sharper iron on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 9th. We're studying 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We've got Pastor Luke Zimmerman with us. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were talking about the will of God, by which Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, which certainly includes the suffering that he is undergoing at the moment, being in prison for the sake of the gospel. But that will of God is not only Paul's suffering, but it also includes, as Paul says in the rest of verse 1, it includes the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Why is that such a significant phrase? Uh, Because it's really the heart of the Christian faith, and it's really the heart of Paul's preaching. Uh, We see this throughout um, the book of Acts, really. Um, Paul's preaching always emphasizes the the eternal life that comes because of Christ's work. Uh, It's really really the central part. Um, If if you might recall uh, when he's on trial uh, later in his... um, in his ministry, as we see in the book of Acts, how many times Paul mentions the fact about the resurrection that's to come, uh, the eternal life that's to come, that really the salvation is to be brought into this resurrection that comes through Christ Jesus. That's what Christ delivers. That's the Christian hope. Uh, it's like also why Paul will say, you know, right, if, if we our hope in Christ is just for this life only, then, then we should be like the most pitied of people. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter um, that that we read so frequently, either like at funerals or on Easter or when visiting the dying, that central part of the Christian faith is that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. And he's going to deliver that eternal life, that resurrection life that he already possesses, that he has, and is now incorporating all his followers into so that they might share in it. And that comes out throughout all of Paul's letters. There is always some sort of emphasis on that hope somewhere in the text. And so when when Paul speaks about that he is an apostle by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. That is what he is hoping to receive, but it's also the message that he is providing to all the churches where he's going and saying, that's what you are going to hope to receive. Here's the answer. Here's the answer to death. Here's the answer to illness. Here's the answer to all the things which are broken in this world. And it all comes because the, the Christ did arrive, he did die for our salvation to atone for us, and he has risen from the dead, proving that he is more powerful than death, he is superior to it, he has 
crushed it. He has defeated it. It's the last enemy going to be put under his feet. And that is what he's holding on to. And especially if you're talking about a person who's facing his own mortality, that's all he's got. And it's all he's going to cling on to and then hope to deliver also to Timothy and, and that next generation so that they might have that same hope in the promise. Right. It's got that very personal application for Paul at this moment that this is the hope that he has while he is suffering in prison, realizing that his death is likely near, that this promise of life that is in Christ Jesus belongs to him. That's ultimately his hope. And as he writes then to Timothy, that is the hope for Timothy. That is the hope for the pastors Timothy will train. That is the hope for all the Christians to whom these pastors will preach. It is the resurrection of the dead that is ours in Christ Jesus, who has been raised. As you said, Paul is constantly preaching that in the book of Acts. It's all over the place in his epistles. It's really all over the place in the scriptures, the hope of the resurrection of the dead that is ours in Christ. And Paul leads with it right here. It's important for him at the moment, and it's certainly important for Timothy and those whom he will teach. So, Paul then identifies, after he's introduced himself in this manner, he identifies again, Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul identifies Timothy, Pastor Zimmerman, remind us, who is this Timothy? Why does Paul call him his beloved child? And then a brief a brief time on the significance of words like grace, mercy, and peace. Okay, so Timothy is one of... Um the assistance that Paul has. He's a person that he actually picks up um, in Asia Minor, in, uh, what is it, Lystra, if I remember right. Yep, Lystra Acts 16. Uh, he's a son of a Jewish woman who is a believer, but his father is a Greek and not said if he's a believer or not. Kind of the impression is that he's not. Uh, but Timothy is a believer. And as Paul deals uh, with the people in Lystra, uh, he picks up Timothy who has a good reputation amongst the believers there, and uh, Paul wants Timothy to accompany him, and that's how he starts. That that that's that he's he's uh, like an apprentice, and, but in many ways, uh, Paul is like his father figure. I mean, in the sense uh, in the faith, and he has this kind of mentor protege relationship with with Timothy, and he's a a. A good son might, might be a way of putting it, um, like an obedient one, one who one who serves as a son would serve a father uh, in in a in a good way, um, and so that that's that's what he um, that's what he has. He's you'll see that statement about Timothy as a child um, in also First Corinthians and and Philippians, um, actually in First Timothy too. Um, so it's a common way. Of speaking about him, and in terms of the grace, mercy, and peace, that's you know these statements of uh, various gifts which uh, which um, are conveyed from God the Father through Christ. Um, grace is exhibited by the Father to us as He does not treat us as we deserve. Uh, mercy has been exhibited from the Father through His Son Christ, as He actually has compassion on us, right? Look, looks at us in our, in our miserable state, right? Um, and as we say, we're poor, miserable sinners, right? Uh, and actually does something 
does something for us uh, to, to deliver us. And then peace, which is established, of course, by God the Father through Christ Jesus our Lord, um, which is the great statement that when the resurrected Christ shows up like in the upper room uh, in John 20, right, the first statement out of his mouth, the risen Christ, even to those disciples who had run away and abandoned him, is what? Peace be to you, right? Mm-hmm. And he shows them the hands and feet, the marks of the crucifixion. Here's where peace with God was made. He's not holding grudges, but rather he's forgiving and setting all things right and in harmony with God himself. As Paul then launches into the body of his letter, he gets into his thanksgiving, which again is pretty standard for Paul. He usually will follow this basic format of identifying himself, his recipient, and then he gives thanks. And and here we have that from Paul. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Now that phrase, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, stands out here in this. And it seems to be a pretty significant phrase. What is Paul saying? And why is that so important when he identifies his ancestors as those who served the same God that Paul does with a clear conscience? So this is kind of an interesting thing. Remember in Paul, he will say in other places um, where he kind of talks about his, um, you know, his origin, right? Uh, His familial background, that might be a better way of putting it, right? Uh, And and he speaks of himself, right, the the tribe of Benjamin, right? uh, He was a person devoted to the law, right? uh, a, a person who 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 is a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and that's and that is that is that's true. <laughs> um, although he had to be kind of brought to the understanding of who that God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is, that he is fulfilling the covenant that was made. So the people of old, the way he could speak about his Israelite background is they knew who Yahweh was, the Lord. They, they knew who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, and they did serve him. Uh, they, they were faithful. They were believers in the covenant promises that the Lord had made. And now, as Paul serves as an apostle of the risen Christ, he is serving that same God with a clear conscience. He is serving that same God in a way that that same God had ordained and instituted. Now, the big thing was, in Paul's life, initially, when he would encounter people who would believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, what did Paul want to do? He wanted to round them up. He wanted to arrest them. He wanted to beat them. He, he is kind of approving when Stephen is stoned, right? He gets, the, he gets the certificate letters from the high priest to go round up those believers in the way up in Damascus. And there, he thought in his zealousness, he was actually serving the Lord. But in reality, he was not. He was actually opposed to him. But as he is converted, as he is brought to understand that this Jesus of Nazareth is where all the things prophesied in the law and the prophets came to its fulfillment. It is the continuation of that one true faith. Prophecies made, prophecies kept. Promises made, promises kept. 
now as he is devoted to this Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, and is carrying out the service and tasks that he's been assigned, as he is an apostle of Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, now he is serving that same God with a clear conscience. Yeah, the, the connection that Paul draws between his service and the service that was given in the Old Testament is really important. This is a, a theme that shows up in many of Paul's letters, is that the true continuation of the Old Testament faith, for example, the faith that Abraham had, the continuation of that is faith in Jesus Christ, that those two faiths are really one faith. The faith that Abraham had is the faith that Paul has. And and the same is true for us as Christians today. We we serve the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did because we together trust in Jesus Christ. And that's where the clear conscience comes from. The clear conscience comes from knowing that my sins are forgiven in Christ. The matter of a of a clear conscience or a good conscience was a, a theme that Paul brought up more than once in his first letter to Timothy, and it comes up here again. What, is it, what does it mean to serve God with a clear conscience? It means to serve the God who forgives you in Christ Jesus, who gives you, as we said earlier, the promise of resurrection life. And so, I mean, that's right here in the front. Seems like a pretty important thing for Paul to emphasize already when you're thinking about the false teaching that Timothy might be encountering or other pastors in the area might be encountering to, to differentiate well, which, which God are we serving? How are we serving him? We're serving him in Christ Jesus. And for those who would claim something different, think of, and, and whether or not Timothy himself would have been facing some of the Judaizing tendencies that were out there in the early church, I'm not sure about that. But it, this already seems like a pretty good weapon for Timothy to have in his arsenal as he fights against false teaching. Yeah, it is, especially as he imitates Paul, which, which, which is kind of, kind of the idea which is being set up here as a mentor and protege, right? Uh, as, as I have, am serving with a clear conscience, as you now continue in what I have deposited to you, right? Handed down to you. You will be able to serve that same God with a clear conscience. Even as you encounter people who will say, that's just worthless. It's pointless. It's wrong. Here's something better, right? Um, and, yeah. So I think as, as Timothy imitates Paul, he will be able to say the same thing about himself. And again, when you're going to get that solemn charge that Paul gives later in, in, in chapter four, that's going to be a big kind of thing. When you're going to have to stand in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who's going to judge the living and the dead. That's exactly where we want to have the clear conscience, mm. which Paul says that he has. And really that Timothy, as he would continue in the instructions that Paul gave to him, would. And more importantly, as the audience who is hearing Timothy's preaching as Timothy delivers this to them, will also have that clear conscience. As Paul continues, you really sense the deep affection that he has for Timothy, and that is mutual as well. When Paul calls to Timothy his beloved child earlier, or his true child, as you mentioned elsewhere, he means that. 
that that Timothy really is his beloved child, and and Timothy obviously has the same sort of affection, love toward Paul as well. Paul references he remembers the tears that Timothy shed, and Paul says, "I've got a longing to see you that that all of this would would bring about joy in Timothy and Paul being reunited." Yeah, I mean the the. the they are separated, and 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 we do suffer uh, grief when we are separated from the people that we are closest to, and of course, one of the greatest um, expressions of that, quite honestly, is going to be uh, when someone we're close to actually has their uh, life here on Earth come to an end. I mean that 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 kind of final separation, and, and we see how people mourn when that happens. Uh, and yes, there is a desire to be uh, together. That's it was good when he when they worked mm-hmm. uh, when Timothy was serving alongside Paul. Um, and we don't know the last time they actually saw each other. That's one of the kind of the mysteries, exactly of you know when you're dating this and trying to figure out it's just how long has it been since they had parted, and um, how long. Has it been since they had actually seen each other in person? And then in later, where he will have the instructions about, you know, coming, coming quickly, coming soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he gives the instructions late in chapter four, that there's, there's that kind of urgency. Of hopefully this will happen a- as well. Paul continues then. And he mentions how Timothy learned the faith in the first place. And he, he brings up Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and Timothy's mother, Eunice. So we get to learn their names, which is pretty wonderful. Tell us a little bit about Lois and Eunice. So what we understand about them, again, echoing what was told in Acts chapter 16, that's where you kind of have the narrative where Timothy is introduced, that his mother, um, who would be Eunice, listed here, the name, uh, is a believer. Now, a believer is going to be the kind of thing is that she is a Jewish person, meaning she is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So of, of, the, of those tribes. Now, which one? Uh, we're not told there. Uh, but a physical descendant. And we would assume then, of course, that her grandmother Lois is as well. You know, <laughs> you know kind of the way that's the way genealogy works, right? Um, that, so they are people who have come through that line. And kind of the assumption, based on the on the text of Acts, is they are they are believers in what had been prophesied, but now they have come to know about this Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophetic statements uh, of what we call the Old Testament, what what we would just call the scriptures back then. And so they had raised Timothy in the faith. In this belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the Lord, and now as they have been brought into under you know that full understanding of Jesus being the Messiah, they are also uh, adherents to that faith, um, and that's what Timothy believed and is taught and holds on to. Which, I mean, I think that, that ties in nicely with what Paul has said about himself. He said, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. And he reminds Timothy, hey, your ancestors have as well. Now, 
I think Paul, when he's referring to ancestors, seems to be drawing farther back than you know his sure. own. But here, Timothy's got those who came before him who shared the faith that he now has, and, and Paul ties those things nicely together. And then, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. And it will be echoed in chapter three when, when Paul speaks about the scriptures, the sacred writings that you were acquainted with them from childhood. You know, that, that not only was it like, oh, yeah, they're, they were just like members of the synagogue or something like that. But no, they were actually active adherents, you know, listeners to the word, listeners to what the Lord had said. And that's what makes them wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because hmm. really, Christ is the one that is the subject of all those of the law and the prophets, really. As our section for today concludes, Paul, he's, he's starting to wrap up his introductory matters, but he does start to now propel himself into the reason for his writing. And he says in verses six and seven, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit and not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. There's plenty to talk about here, Pastor Zimmer. We got about six minutes to look at these verses. What what is Paul saying about the reason for his writing? What's this gift of God that Timothy needs to fan into flame? What is what is Paul saying here at the conclusion of our text for today? Okay, so we're going to be talking about here kind of a sort of a thematic verse, uh, which will be carried out through the rest of the letter in, in many ways. Um, Timothy has been called. He has a vocation. He has a task. It's going to be a daunting task. It's going to be it's going to be hard, especially as you know more opposition to him and the truth arises. But he's not unequipped. The equipping has come from God Himself to do this. Uh, there is something that was conferred to Timothy when he became one of Paul's assistants. It's not really told exactly what it was, but there's something that came from God that came through the laying on of hands by Paul, which, again, we, we saw in 1 Timothy. There's a reference to that in, in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, um, which also the Council of Elders laid their hands on him. Um, it's something that empowers the recipient to act in a godly way with love and self-control. It's something Timothy has. It's not like something Timothy has to find. It's not something he has to acquire as if it was not present with him. Whatever exactly this gift is, it has something to do with the Holy Spirit, who has equipped and empowered Timothy to carry out the task he's been given. Now, we talk about these, these kind of like various gifts of the Spirit in other Pauline letters. And in kind of a commonality in, in like Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, where there's all kind of statements about the Spirit is given to all believers, but the Spirit can deliver faith to all believers. That, that's something common, universal. That's, that's amongst all who are called to um, called to call on the name of Christ, called to put their faith in him, trust in him. But then the Spirit also equips or gifts different abilities and um, kind of experiences, or however you want to put it, uh, to individuals 
to carry out certain tasks for the common good of Christ's church. And some of that will include people who are called to be leaders and teachers in the church. And that God actually equips them and gifts them these things so that they might be able to carry out their task. It also shows that they are dependent on God. And it's not really their ingenuity or their aptitude or intelligence that actually makes them capable of doing this, but really it's a task that God makes them capable of doing. So the matter of fanning into flame this gift is not so much, hey, Timothy, train yourself or something like that, but rather, Timothy, remember what God has given you. The emphasis of these verses is on the fact that God has given to Timothy, and that gift is how Timothy will be able to fulfill his task faithfully, not, as Paul says, is it in second Corinthians that our sufficiency is not from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God that we've got a a similar idea here for Timothy, that it is the gift of God that will equip him to do the task that he's been given to do. We got about two minutes to wrap things up. Pastor Zimmerman. Yeah, very much so. And one of the things that's going to be important of that spirit who's working in Timothy is we're going to see in just the next section of, of chapter one is to, um, have the good deposits entrusted to you be guarded uh, by the spirit who dwells in us because that's where the sufficiency comes from. Um, and that's the gospel that they're delivering, the good news, which the, which the preacher himself is to believe, uh, comes to them and that's what they can dole out to their hearers. And as they are equipped by the Spirit to do so, they will save themselves and save their audience, their hearers and listeners. And you can't forget that the whole matter really has God as the driving subject, and he's using individuals, including leaders and teachers like Timothy, as his tools and instruments to bring the promised salvation and life to those who will hear what they preach. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is the pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, helping us this morning with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. You're very welcome. Glad to do it. God equipped St. Paul. He called St. Paul to be an apostle. He called Timothy to be a pastor, and he gave to Timothy the gifts needed, the scriptures the word of God, by which Timothy is equipped, by which he preaches and holds to that sound doctrine that delivers Christ crucified and risen for sinners, for you and for me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.